Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are back. We are live. It is Monday night. It's nine o'clock. We got the full clan together. Although I do have to admit, it looks a little weird that Jonathan is on the bottom of the uh, <laughs> on the tripod on the tripod of a uh, video screens. He's typically to my right, so now I'm kind of freaked out. Uh, but guys, uh, Stephen Igo here, Scott Lurbatcher, Jonathan Wagner. We got a successful week to recap, but first off, I just want to send uh, kudos to both of you for absolutely holding it down in my absence uh, last week. I guess, Scott, you were the unofficial host, so how do you think it went? Uh, you know, from my end, I didn't stumble over my words too much, um, so glad to have you back and glad to, to not be in the, uh, the top left box. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan, you made the prediction of the year. Uh, the only thing you were missing was uh, correctly predicting a ruptured testicle, but otherwise you nailed every single thing that Jacob Jenkins Cowart did. Uh, three homers. You called for it in a week. He did it in one game. So congrats. Thank you. Um, yeah, I take I don't take that honor lightly, but, you know, when he did it, did it first game, I was like, you know, it, I'd really be – I'm really going to, like, pat myself on the back here tonight if he did it again over the weekend – and, you know, clearly, you know, I may have gotten a prediction right, but at what cost? You know, I just said that before we got on air, at what cost? And we'll see what I have in store later tonight. <laughs> yeah, guys, so East Carolina, they go 4-0. They are now 24-8 and overall. They are back inside the top 10. The sky was falling at this time last week. All of a sudden, everything is, is, is all good again. The Pirates beat the Wolfpack 13-9 on Tuesday. Then they sweep UCF, and they swept UCF before many teams even started a weekend series due to the weather, uh, due to obviously they're playing Thursday because of Easter. So it was just a phenomenal week. I think I was the only person who predicted 4-0, and and I'll be honest, I didn't really believe it, but I just kind of felt it. I was kind of hoping for it. Um, you know, typically Cliff Galvin teams respond. They responded in the best way possible. So uh, I do want to get you guys' take on the week as a whole before we kind of dive into some storylines. As always, like, comment, subscribe, drop your comments in the uh, obviously the comment section. I don't know where else you would drop them. Uh, but give that uh, a response. We'll read and share as many comments as we can during the show. We always let that kind of guide us 
as we continue through this podcast. But uh, we'll start first with Scott. Just a four and zero week, and I, I don't. I think we all were, were hopeful of that, but you can never really expect it. So, a pretty big response, right, from ECU. For sure, uh, I think I predicted two and two um, going into the week. It just hadn't felt like we were playing our best brand of baseball, and then uh, against NC State, we really we really got the bats going and carried that into the weekend. Um, and then, you know, a really tough game on Friday. It's weird, you know, your third game of a series being on Friday. But, um, you know, a tough game where the weather didn't really cooperate, uh, maybe getting us ready for a regional weekend, our opening game, playing in a rain delay and, um, you know, in a, in a game that was maybe tighter than what most people would have expected. But to come out against, a, you know, four games against teams that can really hit the ball and to win all four games is, you know, obviously a great week for us. Wags, when they when they defeated NC State, they got the midweek, I don't want to say a bugaboo off their back, but certainly a big win. It just felt like, you know, if they would have found a way to lose that game, it could have sent the week in the other direction. How, how big do you think find a way to win on Tuesday was? Yeah, I think it's I mean, it was very important, especially just given what those midweek games – midweek games in general – just have been so frustrating this year, but just the added, you know, excitement, it being NC state, you know, that's not just a win to get back on track. That's a win that can really set the tone moving forward for the year. I feel like, and, you know, the players always get up for those games that I wasn't able to go because I had to work, but the atmosphere just on TV sounded awesome. And those games are always really exciting. And I think it did set the tone for the weekend. And, you know, it might've, the midweek curse might be off your back for now, the bat, Pirate Bats woke up when the heat came. It was warm on Tuesday. It was warm on Thursday in the doubleheader. So it was nice to see the Bats wake up and ECU win games because of their bats and not necessarily their pitching because the rest of the season has been the other way around. So all around, just a really nice week and one that I think ECU really had to have at this time of the year. All right, you know it was a good week for ECU and the comments section is as barren as it is because uh, you guys – figured out last week when the Pirates have a tough result, you're going to hear all the negative questions possible. And thus far, we've got Let's Get It, Gents from Frank Durham. We've got What's Up, Fellows from Brandon Carr, whose son plays for the football team. Uh, Chuck Saley's does have a couple of comments. And his first is, love my Pirates, but no way – we should be ranked number nine, maybe 15 or 16. Scott, you are our rankatologist. You're our bracketologist. Uh, your thoughts on Chuck's comment that ECU is overrated? Well, first off, I'll say if you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and share the stream as well. Um, maybe bring in some, some people that might not even know we're live. Um, but to Chuck's comment, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um it's easy to say maybe a gut feeling you think we should be ranked 15th or 16th, or maybe Chuck's done more research. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but um, you know, unless you watch everybody in the top 25, it's hard to say where anybody should be ranked. But if you look at the teams that we left over this week, Boston college, um, I don't think their pitching's all that great. I think they've just bonded as a team and played really well. Um, Kentucky is starting to get into the teeth of their schedule. Um, a team that, that rose a lot in the poll, like Louisville, 
they've had a couple series losses. A team that we jumped this week in Tennessee is now they have four series losses on the weekend. Granted, they played some really good teams that they have losses to. And ECU still only has, I think, three weekend losses. And I think that's really important when you look at where you should rank teams. Um, Because the most important games are played on the weekends. I know everybody always makes the joke one way or another about midweeks not mattering. But I think think you would be hard-pressed to find um, a team with a resume that's as good as ours. We, you know, 24 and 8. We have an RPI 15. Um... And we have three frontline starters that are all really, really good. And now we're starting to hit the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think ninth is fair. I wouldn't say we're top you know, eight right now, even though I don't think Stanford is maybe as good as um, they're projected to be. I think we'll find out a lot about Stanford this week um, when they play. Uh, they're playing Texas Tech right now, actually, if you want to watch that and see another top ten team. I don't know what Pac-12 network is on now, maybe. Game Boy or YouTube or something. <laughs> um, if you can find uh, Stanford versus Texas Tech, you can see a top 10 team uh, play. And then they go to Oregon this weekend. We'll find out a lot about them. But, you know, I think over the course of a year, it shakes itself out. You know, when we stumbled, we fell out of the top 10 um, and we slid down to 12 or wherever we were at. But, you know, I, I would be hard pressed to say, unless you've watched all top 25 teams then I don't know if you can say that we don't deserve to be ranked number nine. Yeah, but Clean Anderson with a good point. He says he feels like everyone outside of the top three or four is flawed, and I agree. I mean, I probably haven't watched as much college baseball outside of ECU as, as, as a lot of people, including definitely Scott. But if you just follow the scores, there really only seems to be two, three, four dominant, consistent teams, and that – yeah. It pains me to say it. I feel like, you know, what I can't even say it. I, I can't give the guys in Winston State on that much credit. Um, They've earned it. I was this close to actually giving them credit. But, uh, I mean, I guess Wake Forest has to be considered one of those teams for now. Um, you know, certainly, you know, Vanderbilt's had a, a phenomenal year to this point. Really, that, that glut of SEC schools that are like, what, three through six behind Wake Forest, um, if not deeper. Uh, those teams are just going to, I think, be hard-pressed to be moved out of those those roles. Um, so LSU is obviously the, the the most talented, complete team with all the transfers they've added. So it does feel like that top five, that top six is going to be really tough to break into. But then after that, it's kind of just like a wave of up and down. So I don't know if ECU can get into that top eight. I mean, other than – win almost every game. I mean, what, what do you think, Jonathan? I mean, we, we kind of talk about this every week, the RPI, the midweeks, all that stuff, but it, it really comes back to just having good games every time out, like as cliche as that sounds. Like ECU can't afford to say, hey, we got to go 45 and 11 or whatever. Um, sorry, Scott. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just got to find a way to keep having weeks like they did this past week, not necessarily go 4-0, and but you got 3-1 and with a lot of 4 and mixed in, you'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, in the end, ECU, just, they've got to go out and control what they can control, and that's winning as many baseball games as you can possibly win. And to me, I see that when I'm looking at college baseball, and I pay attention to it pretty closely, but I, I see a top six, and then I see a pretty – I don't want to say sizable drop-off, drop off, but a sizable drop-off. I think once you get past, you know, Arkansas and South Carolina at 5-6, then after that, it really it's – you can make the case, I think, from maybe teams from 7 to 15 – 
And I don't know the rankings off the top of my head, but I think that range is all very closely grouped together. And again, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. And for ECU, you know, we talk about it every week, but the American is just not good. I think coming in, you know, UCF was probably viewed as the next best competitor in the American and God, they looked awful this weekend. So that doesn't give me a lot of hope. So in the end, it's just ECU has to go out and they have to win every weekend because a loss is more probably it hurts them a, a lot more than it would, you know, say if South Carolina would have played game three against LSU this weekend and lost that game, you know, ECU doesn't have those kinds of opportunities. So you have to take advantage of the ones you do get. And right now that includes midweeks. So just keep winning and control what you control, get healthy, win ball games and call it a day. And that's all you can do. All right, let's talk about the other theme of this podcast. As Chesapeake Pirate brings up, uh, would like to get a rundown on all of our medical issues, who is hobbled, how bad, who is out, and when expected back. So I don't have a list. Listen, I, I should have wrote down all the, all the names because I know I'm going to forget somebody, but it's my first podcast back. All right, give me, give me some slack. Um, I'm going to try and go through off the top of my head Who's banged up? You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. All right, so we'll start at catcher. You've got Justin Wilcoxon and Ryan McChrystal both battling back injuries. Wilcoxon did not look healthy at all swinging the bat this past weekend. McChrystal was also sick going into the series, so he only called a certain amount of innings. So you got both of your catchers battling back injuries. That's not ideal. Um, Jacob Jenkins-Cowart, again, three-homer game. Took a pitch square to the man region. He has a ruptured testicle. Um, God, that hurts to say. Uh, he had to get it surgically repaired, from my understanding, on Friday night. Uh, I'm told he cannot run for two weeks. And then after that, looking at a scenario where, you know, probably three weeks, I would think, for JJC, best-case scenario. Um, and and then, then with the catchers, they're kind of day-to-day managing it. Uh, Garrett Saylor has been out since I think March 22nd when he pitched at was it was it Campbell he, he pitched against or was it even before then either way I think it was a Campbell game in Fayetteville okay oblique injury so he is out Cliff Galvin said today on 94.3 the game he's starting to throw a little bit not sure if he will be back by this weekend or not so he sounds week to week but seems to be trending in the right direction. Riley Johnson is dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, he's been playing through that, but it's something he has to manage as far as pain management. Um, I feel like I'm leaving somebody out. Or is that it? Roots back. Roots back. Um, I think AMAC is shaking off his wrist. Yeah, AMAC's still kind of dealing with his wrist because he has a wrap, but I think he's fine. I think those are the main ones. I mean, the biggest one – and I'm going to look through the roster as I ask you guys this question just to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Um, the JJC one's the main one. He was just starting to get hot. You know, not that the other guys aren't important, but to lose that bat in the middle of the lineup, we'll start with uh, you, Scott. Just how, how big of a blow is that if he's out two to three weeks, which obviously he will be? Yeah, I mean, he was the threat there, right? You had him and Moylan where you had to pitch to one of them um, if, if they come up with guys on base, you can't just put them both on. 
Um, so somebody's going to have to step up. I mean, there's certainly guys on the team that can do it, like uh, Carter Cunningham, um, maybe clunch some um, in a DH role, um, and we'll have to see. But, yeah, I mean, he is, he, he is one of the two or three best hitters on our team and was trending towards being the best hitter on our team after this last week. So not having your three-hole guy I think is, is going to be difficult to overcome. Um, but we definitely have the guys that can do it. Yeah, so the only other really injury-related note was Willie Lumpkin. He's been back a couple weeks now. So um, and the biggest you know concern for me is the catcher spot, which we'll get into here in a minute. But let's stay on JJC for a second. Wags, uh, when you look at how ECU approaches this going forward, I mean, clearly there were already too many outfielders for the three spots. We know Luke Nowak. Uh, has been DH, and even though he's an outfitter, he will likely stay there due to some defensive limitations at this point. But then you got three other guys, Riley Johnson, who we just mentioned dealing with the ankle. You've got Carter Cunningham and Lane Hoover as well. Do you see anybody else entering that picture? Any other changes uh, during this time with with uh, JJC sideline? I mean, to me, I think it it just opens up a lot of – you know, opportunities for those guys that you mentioned. And even more, you know, there's flexibility with positions. I mean, I don't think AMAC's going to move to corner outfield at some point this year at this point. I feel like we would have seen that by now if he was going to even test it just to get other guys at bats in the infield maybe. So I think for those guys you mentioned, personally, I think Riley Johnson is a great center fielder defensively. His bats cooled off a little bit, but – like we mentioned, he, like a lot of people, are also not 100%. So, you know, maybe if he can get back to full health and, you know, start playing every day again, his back and start turning back on, he's come through at times. Lane Hoover, he for how slow he started the season, I believe going into this weekend, he was hitting 450 around there since the Liberty Series. So Lane Hoover's turned it on. And I think at this point, he's back in the lineup every day. And then right field, Carter Cunningham has kind of been that guy lately. His bat was red hot for a while. His power came on for a little bit. and But to me, I think it's interesting when you look at the batting order because, you know, yeah, JJC was in that two-hole. And, you know, right now it's a it's a gaping hole, honestly. I mean, I don't think there's a real clear-cut guy to do it because I think you have to keep Moylan in the three-hole. Starling, you can probably move around, but I like keeping him in the fourth four spot. And it's just you have to find someone who can make it work. You know, do you change a leadoff spot? I don't know. You have a lot of flexibility now. And, yeah, I'm hoping it's two to three weeks for JJC. Uh, Wyatt Langford for Florida had the same exact injury, ruptured testicle, and he missed 15 days exactly. I looked it up. 15 days, he's played every every game since then. So, you know, you hope it's a similar thing, but it probably just becomes a pain tolerance thing. He's probably going to put on a cup (laughs) when he plays from now on. And, I mean, yeah, it's just – that's a tough one because you wonder, you know, how is it going to be when he comes back? You know, you hope he can get over that, you know, just mentally stepping back into the box, you know, every time you swing, you know, am I going to foul it off again? And you hope he can overcome that. But I think that's also another important storyline to come, you know, when he does make his way back into the lineup. Uh, Jack Dover says we need some Cam Clonch this week. Yeah. I think we're all three Cam Clonch fans, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I think, look, the more Clonch, the better. Uh, and he's just never really gotten a chance to be a full-time guy, but he's a great team guy. He's <laughs> – Down the clutch. 
<laughs> Man just broke out a clonch shell in the middle of the show. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he's had some clutch ABs, some tough ABs. And I would like to see him get a shot to play corner outfield. He can do it. Maybe not to the level that some of the other guys on the roster can, but it's a way to get his his bat in the lineup. We've talked about it plenty. Would like to see Alec Makarevich maybe play some outfield or get a day off and see some some Dixon Williams at third or some Connor Rasmussen. But, you know, we've talked about that for five, six straight weeks now. It hasn't happened yet. Really, I don't know if it will happen this year. Um especially with AMAC heating up the way he is. And, and honestly, Cunningham is playing well. Riley Johnson is playing well. So I just don't know if you can take one of those guys out right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a situation where Claunch, he's got to take advantage of his opportunities when he gets them. You would think Moylan after this year is probably going to go pro. Next year, Claunch could step into that starting first base job. So uh, that's a possibility to monitor heading into the offseason. Um so, yeah, any other injury questions, let us know. We'll answer that uh, for sure. Uh, could we see Dixon Williams enter the mix in the outfield, Zach asked. Right now, I do, don't think so. If he's going to enter the mix, it'll probably be at third base, probably be at DH. And I think you would see, um, you know, even Amat go play outfield before Dixon. But uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't see Dixon playing the outfield right now, even though I would like to see him get more at-bats. All right, Johnny Gardner asks, uh, what does Nick DeLisi need to show some improvement to see the field based on both catchers having some lingering injuries? Um, you know, I don't think any of us are out there to to know what Nick DeLisi does well or doesn't do well. I just think it's hard to be a freshman catcher when you, when you look at everything that happens, Scott, with coming in and trying to catch a pitching staff, trying to catch Treya Savage. There are no Treya Savages in high school, so I'm sure that's a, that's probably the biggest thing is just the defensive managing the staff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at how early last year, how much pass balls and, you know, pitches that were called wild pitches but, you know, maybe could have been blocked affected us really early in the year. And I think that's something that Cliff is likely trying to protect against right now, um, especially if you look at our, our staff with guys like Savage and Groves that throw balls that move a lot and in, in, you know, maybe ways that a freshman catcher wouldn't have seen before um, and would only have seen, you know, in limited practices behind two really, really good catchers too. You know, I think if you, if you get down to it, you look at McChrystal and you look at Wilcoxon and how good they really are. These are draft pick type catchers. Um, And Delisi may grow into that as well, but um, it's going to take some time for that to happen. All right, uh, Cam Murphy has played outfield before is what Scott Jackson says. And, yeah, he's another guy who could potentially play, only has a few outfield, um, a few at-bats this year. So you got guys that can definitely step in if needed. It's just, you know, with the scenario ECU is running right now, you know, Carter Cunningham continues to put up quality at-bats. And, and to me, y'all may disagree, but – I think at this point you almost have to have Riley Johnson in center field with the way he's playing defense. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think you have to. I, you know, you can try Carter Cunningham there. You can try Lane Hoover there. Both of them have gotten looks in the past couple of weeks. But to me, it's when those two are in the outfield, and I'm not saying they're bad necessarily. I think Carter had a couple of plays this weekend where he probably could have 
his reaction to a line drive on back, I think of the same inning back-to-back batters, maybe his reaction to a line drive wasn't what it needed to be. And he ended up not getting to the ball and both of them dropped for base hits. And I believe a run scored. So that that's not ideal, you know, but I do think playing center field, seeing balls off the bat is completely different than it is in a corner spot. And, you know, I think there's a noticeable improvement when Riley Johnson's on the field, any ball over his head, I trust him to get to any ball in, I trust him to get to or make a play happen. And I also think Riley Johnson's arm is better than you would expect when you look into Riley Johnson. I think his arm makes up for it when he and he's so fast. He can get to any ball. I feel like he can get a ball in. He's not going to throw guy out, guy out all the time, but he does what needs to be done. And to me, he's far and away the best defensive outfielder on this team. So I think to me that especially with some defensive, you know, issues that have popped up at times over this year. I, I think you have to have that in the lineup. And again, his bat has that upside. We've seen it before. So I think he's worth the, I don't want to say worth the risk because he's pretty safe defensively. So, but yeah, I, I would have him in the lineup every day just for defensive purposes. Yeah. And he does a decent job of working the count and, you know, maybe you don't want, Riley Johnson, Lane Hoover, Luke Nowak all in the same lineup because you kind of get some similar looks there. But at this point, if they're three of your better guys, you, you just got to go go with it with JJC out. And hopefully you can manufacture enough runs, get enough production from AMAC, Moylan, other areas that have a little bit more pop. So uh, something else I wanted to ask you guys about, sounds like we, we talked about earlier, Garrett Saylor could potentially be back in the coming weeks. What should his role be with the pitching staff has done well? You know, Landon Ginn has kind of stepped up here these last few weeks since returning from suspension. Sailor was trending upwards in that midweek starter role. Now it seems like Zach Root is going to be that guy. He started the last few midweek games. He's getting the ball tomorrow against Old Dominion. You know, is it back to the back end of the bullpen? Is it working him back in slowly? Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on Garrett Saylor, kind of how you see him, assuming he's healthy here in these next few weeks? Yeah, you know, with an, an oblique injury, I think working him back in slowly, like you said, is it, going to be important. But um, I, I really liked him in that midweek starter role. We talked a lot about how important those games can be um, for RPI purposes and how many we've lost because we haven't had good outings to start those games and we've gotten behind and then couldn't catch back up. Um, you know, I think he had had gone two pretty good outings and including the Campbell outing before he, he got hurt um, and came out. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him get back to that role because sometimes in regional weekend, you do need a fourth starter. I mean, he's a guy that has a ton of experience a guy that I would trust on that that regional final day when you played either four or five games, hopefully, you know, only four if, if we are in that situation and not having to come through the loser's bracket again. But um, a guy that you could trust to go out there and give you four or five really good innings in a regional final or, um, you know, if, if something were to happen to one of the other starters throughout the season, could step into that role as the, the third weekend guy and you could prepare him by having him on Tuesday, getting that starter mindset to go out there and pitch 80 to 90 to 100 pitches in, a, in an outing. Yeah, I think if this team is going to get to the the promised land, I think they need Garrett Saylor. I think they need Zach Root. They need to stay healthy with the starting rotation. But I, I just think those 
five guys along with the other back-end bullpen guys can really help take them to another level. Jonathan, your thoughts on Garrett Saylor, where you would like him to kind of slot in as he hopefully makes his way back here soon? Yeah, I do think, you know, I, I agree. I loved him in that midweek role. I mean, he did so well. He was he, he finally looked like Garrett Saylor again, you know, right before you got hurt. And, but I do think the I, you have to bring him along slowly. You, it's not worth the risk of, you know, just throwing him back out there and go for it. No, you bring him back. He pitches an inning. Maybe he doesn't pitch the rest of the week. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's how you have to handle it because you can't risk not having him in the postseason because he's that valuable just for his versatility. He can start a game four. He can come out of the bullpen in game one. He he can do anything you need him to, and I'm going to trust him to get the job done. And, but I do think right now it's, it's nice because I do think Jake Hunter with what Jake Hunter has done, you know, obviously at ECU doesn't beat NC state without Jake Hunter this week. So I think Jake Hunter being there and kind of it's Zach Root and Jake Hunter right now on weekend on midweeks. And I think that kind of allows you to ease sailor back in because I still think the rotation is good enough on the weekend to where you don't need Garrett sailor to do what he did last year. You don't need him and Carter Spivey to come out and save the day every day out of the bullpen. You can afford to just have him come out, throw an inning, whether it's in a you know high pressure spot, you know bases juiced with a one run lead or with a six run lead and nobody on in the ninth. You know Garrett Saylor can do anything you need him to. So I bring him along slowly, but I'd like to see him in a midweek role. But I also don't think you have to have him there. And speaking of Jake Hunter, Chesapeake Pirates says, what will be the role for Jake Hunter the rest of the season? I'll be honest, guys. I mean, two two weeks into the season, I really didn't think Jake Hunter would play a big role for this pitching staff. He wasn't pitching a lot at all. I think he'd only thrown in garbage time. Didn't have the best offseason, but he has been – he's been awesome. I mean, he's – like I, I can't help but smile thinking about it because, like, you – you know, we as as sports viewers and, you know, guys who are trying to draw conclusions when we watch sports, we kind of pigeonhole guys as, oh, Jake Hunter, he's this contact-oriented guy. He's going to give up hard contact, but he's going to go in and throw strikes. And that's kind of what, in my mind, I had pigeonholed him in. And then all of a sudden he comes out here, he's throwing this nasty slider consistently. All of a sudden you look at his numbers. I mean, he's striking guys out at an extremely high clip and teams aren't hitting him. I mean, he's got 23 strikeouts to five walks and 19 innings. Opponents are hitting 188 against him. He's given up one home run all season. And so that just goes to show you that uh, how much of a, a jump a guy can make. I'm to the point now with as good a stuff as Jake Hunter is showing, I wouldn't mind him pitching in the back end of the bullpen as the season gets uh, gets going. Obviously, as we talked about, the midweek games are critical for RPI, so I'm cool with him also staying in that role. But as you shift more towards the postseason conference tournament, I wouldn't mind seeing Jay Hunter become a bullpen arm for middle to late game situations. Uh, what do you all think? We'll start with Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing this year that's very different from last year is how little we've needed bullpen arms and as many guys to step up. Um, and that's, I think, helped our teams where guys don't have to pitch every weekend. They've had some time, you know, if somebody's struggling with something, they can work on it, figure it out, and then come into games. And they're not, they don't have to get thrown into the fire uh, week in and week out. Um, 
where they have to figure it out. You know, when we were at that Duke game, I think every one of us got asked a question about Jake Hunter from some random person. Um, and we were like, we just don't know. Like we had, we don't know what's the, the deal. I, you know, I think in the, in the preseason podcast, I said, I hoped he could be just the Tuesday guy, you know, and now that's looking like maybe that's more like sailor or root, but yeah, I mean, I think Jake Hunter's a guy that we trust now to go give you two or three innings in an outing. Um, and I think that's important. If you look at, you know, how you savage his pitch where he's gotten you into the sixth or seventh inning on Friday night, if that's a game that's, you know, maybe a three or four run lead, I trust Hunter to come in and finish the game. Um, if you look at, you know, maybe how some of the Sunday games have gone, if they turn into a slugfest and Jake Hunter's a guy, if he hadn't been able to get in on Friday or Saturday, he's a guy that can come in and give you two, three, four innings and get you to the end of Sunday um, you know, when teams are starting to run out of pitching. So I think his role is going to be something that's only continues to grow in importance as the season does. Uh, Jonathan, we'll, we'll follow up with you. Also, we we got another question about what what role a pitcher will play. I'll let you handle both of these. Uh, what role could Merritt Beaker play in? Uh, so give me Jake Hunter, Merritt Beaker. Who, who's closing this one? Uh, who's closing these <laughs> games out for the Pirates? All right. Well, with with Jake Hunter, you know, I do think, again, I, I do think it's a luxury that you're not in the same position you are last year. You know, because last year again, got starting pitchers weren't going deep into games. Just for the large majority of the season, it just wasn't happening. So guys were, you were having to have those. And I'm going to bring back a term from I believe Scott created in our preseason pod, but a Super Bullpen guy, or it was a some Super Reliever. Maybe that's super that was reliever, it. Yeah. But you know, Carter Spivey and Garrett Salo, that's what they did last year. They pitched every day. They pitched multiple innings a day sometimes, and that's because they had to. But now I think due to the starting rotation depth and depth in the ball games, plus the bullpen depth, just the number of arms you have that could go. Wyatt Lunchford Shankman could be that guy. You know, you, you have plenty of landing in could be that guy. You have guys to pick from which is good because personally I don't see Jay Connor as a guy who's going to come out and pitch multiple times in a week or a weekend, especially. I, I just, I don't know, but I just don't see it for him in that role. So I do think it's, you know, following us to savage. If Shankman's maybe not ready to go and pitching a couple innings and closing it out and saving the rest of the bullpen for the rest of the weekend, that's an important role too. But so Jay Connor, I really think his role is going to evolve as a year and might go back and forth and, that's okay. And I'll transition here to uh, Merritt Beaker, but I, I don't see him having much of a role down the stretch. Cause I, I just, I just don't think at this point when he has gotten opportunities, he just, he hasn't found the strike zone. And I think when you look at early in the year and obviously the Duke game is a pretty good um, point to look back on, got the pitching staff was struggling because they couldn't find the zone. And I think the biggest reason ECU has found success since then is pitchers have started to find the zone. And I think Merritt Beaker is probably the one guy maybe who was in that game who maybe hasn't done that. And I still think Merritt Beaker could turn into a valuable piece, maybe not this year, but down the road in his career. But I just think at this point, there's too many guys in front of, in front of him. And I think when it comes down to it, if you're in a tight spot in the weekend and you're going to a lefty, your first choice on a weekend is probably Eric Ritchie if Zach Root is pitching midweeks. And then after that, you're probably still going back to Zach Root. 
So I just, it's a numbers game at some point and it comes down to trust. And at this point, he, I think he still has a ways to go before he earns that back. Good answers. Good answers. Wags. Thanks for, uh, for taking on, <laughs> taking on those. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, Chesapeake Pirate has an interesting question. He says, how does our team fielding this year compare to what I remember as being pretty good in the recent past? Moylan is a jewel, but a little concerned about shortstop and some outfield play. Um, so right now, guys, ECU has a 974 fielding percentage. That is the lowest for an ECU baseball team since 2017, uh, which was the season that uh, we shall not remember. 2016 was even lower. That was a much better season. Um, I, I I think the defense is not is not on par with what we've seen in recent years for ECU. I mean, we have a big enough sample size right now, guys, that I, I think we can make that assumption. Um, you know, Joey Barini has done a really good job at shortstop. I just think range wise, he's a little little limited, but he's still been solid. He's made all the routine plays for the most part. Um, too many, too many mistakes at times in the outfield, uh, too many mistakes in the infield really on, on, you know, just routine balls. Guys will make incredible plays and they'll make, uh, a routine ball mistake. So I am a little concerned about the defense as, as ECU moves in the postseason play, but I, I think the strikeout ability of the pitching staff can help overcome that to a degree, but, uh, I don't know what 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 are y'all's gut feelings on the defense at this point as we sit here and move towards the latter third of the season. Yeah, it's definitely not as as good as it was last year. That was really the strength of our team. We were a top ten team nationally defensively, and this year obviously we're not. Um, and you know, fielding percentages is obviously a good metric, but it doesn't always tell the whole story. I think Houston has a really good fielding percentage because they don't get to a lot of balls, um, and I think you see that some. Barini's limited range compared to a guy like Agnos, who had elite range. Um, you look in center field, um, and you know this past weekend, some with Cunningham or, uh, and uh, Riley Johnson and other guys, they don't get to some of the balls that Bryson Worrell got to. Right, so some balls are falling in for hits that doesn't show up on fielding percentage because guys just aren't getting there. Um, you know, if you take a bad read on a ball and don't get there, that doesn't show up in fielding percentage either. So um, it's definitely been a drop off. It's definitely something that I didn't expect to see this year. I thought we would still be pretty good defensively, but um, 
You just have to make up for it in other ways. Our pitching is so much further ahead this year than it was last year. Seeing a lot more strikeouts. Um, so maybe, you know, what we lost in fielding, we gained in pitching. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're still a good defensive team. I don't want people to think we're not good at, at fielding the ball. We're just not an elite defensive team like we were last year. Yeah, and like we we said earlier, I mean, the, the 16 team, non-71 footing percentage, and there's they were as close to Omaha as anybody. So, And that was probably the least talented team of any of those teams. So um, it doesn't mean you can't get there. I think at times it's been a strength. Like Barini has made some incredible plays. Amac has made some incredible plays. Starlin has great range for a second baseman. It's just you got to be more consistent when the outs become a premium uh, in the postseason. So, Jonathan, is that a concern of, of yours at all? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a concern. And, I mean, there are some plays and, you know, some plays that should be made whether it's a ground ball and, you know, a ball wasn't thrown to the right spot. I think we've seen, I think the Houston weekend, there was a ball hit to Starling and I brought this up before, but there was a, it was a ball hit to Starling to his left towards first base. And there was a run on first that was running to second and Starling, he, he made a great play to get to the ball, but I thought he had plenty of time to try to gun the guy at first. And he just, he just held it, which, you know, may have been smart decision, but I think previous years, you know, those plays are made, whoever's there. And, I also think, and this is health-related with injuries we've talked about, but I do think that the catchers have been a little inconsistent as well. I think we've seen that both guys have good arms. Will Coxon can throw guys out. McChrystal has a cannon of an arm. McChrystal's not always accurate with his throw, as accurate as he should be, and I do think we're starting to see as the injuries and maybe the wear and tear of the season drags on, I do think we're starting to see a little more pass balls in recent weeks and I think that's a little bit of a concern to me. So that's that's another area. I think that's more concerning to me than anything else, the catchers. And it's just you can't really blame them. I mean, those guys are probably exhausted. Those guys are far from 100%. And they're still being asked to go catch, you know, some of the best pitchers in the country and control a run game. So, you know, that's no easy task. But I think to me that's that's where I'm most concerned. But I also think if they can both get healthy – and you can kind of, you know, rotate them a little more evenly over the coming weeks and the next month or so, then I, I do think that will kind of fix itself as the season goes on. McLean Anderson adds uh, Alec Burleson just had an RBI triple. Good for Alec and other NL Central news. Uh, the Cubs are beating my crappy Mariners 2-1. to one. The Mariners can't hit Drew Smiley. Uh, the Mariners suck, apparently, so uh, at least we had last season. How are things going uh, in Cincinnati Reds land, Scott? Uh, I think we were 3-3 three and three the last I looked. We had a couple of rainouts um, with the Cubs and the Phillies. Um, but, yeah, I haven't gotten to – I didn't get to watch much this weekend. I watched opening day and the first couple of games, but I need to, to get focused back up. I know we're playing the Braves tonight, but I don't know the score. So somebody can throw that in the comments if they want, um, only if it's good, though. Right now, Braves lead three to one in the ninth. So don't put it in the Uh As far as Jonathan Wagner's team, he uh, has uh, he's got the Nationals in. Uh, good news for you, Jonathan. Uh, it's zero zero, so they're not losing in the top of the first in in Anaheim as they take on the Angels. It, it's not the bottom of the first yet. I believe Corbin's on the mound. Patrick Corbin's on the mound tonight, so um, they will be down soon, and. 
I mean, hey, a, ser- a series split, four games split at the Colorado Rockies. And let me just say this. If I was a betting man, I, I-, I genuinely believe there's a chance the Nationals lose 120 games. And I fully expect it. <laughs> so well, luckily let's have some fun. Luckily, they're blacked out, so you don't have to watch them. That, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, moving back to college baseball, uh, Christian Bateman says, what do you think of the, is the purpose of UCF's coach arguments on Friday? And so I was watching this game on TV, still haven't returned to Clark Claire since having the baby, so hoping to get back to a game or two this week. Um, but I did check this out on TV, and I, I found it hilarious that Cliff Goblin was giving it the wrap-it-up <laughs> sign. <laughs> I mean, he was doing the aggressive wrap-it-up sign, too. He was tired of it. That might be my I favorite mean, thing Cliff Godwin's ever done in his history to see baseball. It has to be, man. It was so on point because I think everybody watching or viewing the game felt the same way. Uh, he had to argue for at least five minutes. I mean, he was out there a long time. If not longer than that. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I think his purpose was just to get ejected. I think he was I, just going to be out there until he got ejected. I will say I think that could be it, but I also do think you know just watching and being unbiased, I, I do think that there was a valid reason to at least have a conversation. I mean, it was a Carter Cunningham bunt. It was popped up. The ball was pretty much right on the first base line, and you know the catcher kind of went for the ball, but Cunningham was in the baseline. But he did the, they collided. The catcher and Carter Cunningham they kind of made contact with each other. So I, I can see why he would be at least having a conversation and wondering, you know, was that interference? Cunningham's entitled to the baseline. But, you know, I, I can understand why he's at least going to go out and have that conversation. But I, I do think once the umpire is probably telling you to shut up and go back to your dugout, you should probably listen and not drag on when you're already struggling to get a game in. This is already after the game was restarted, I believe. And at this point, it's like, just go home. You're going to get swept, and, God, I, I, yeah, Cliff Godwin just telling him to hurry it up is my favorite Cliff Godwin moment in the history of Cliff Godwin. I will praise him for the rest of my life for that moment alone. So, yeah, it, it was it was the most entertaining part of the weekend, I think. Um, all right, so we're going to get back to Greg Lovelady in a second. <laughs> Big news, uh, the Reds apparently – just tied the game at 3-3. Also, the Mariners, as it happened, just tied the game in the ninth inning. Both the the Mariners and Reds just tied the game in the ninth inning. And the Nationals still have a run on first with two outs in the top of the first. So the Nationals not losing. All three of our teams at the moment are not losing in live baseball action. This is a historic moment uh, on the Hoist the Colors Bucks on the Pond podcast. Um Anyways, Greg Lovelady, Scott, by the way, anytime any of us are going on too long in a segment, I want I want to, us to all go. <laughs> Just wrap it up. That's also what? what they were doing with their bats at Central Florida. Yeah. Shaving them up. So, um, so what's the deal on that? Because somebody asked, and I know you sent the video to us earlier. I haven't had a chance to watch it. I Actually, I did watch the first response, and then my son uh, – Wanted to watch a frog video, so I had to change it back. Uh, so, Philip asked thoughts on UCF's coach's response to the allegation that UCF used altered bats earlier in the season. So, can you give us the rundown on this, Scott? 
So a former player alleged that they used um, hot bats or shaved bats. I don't know what the term is now. I've been out of the um, court bat game for a while. Um, but uh, that was up until the Dartmouth series when I think UCF was at 15 and 5. Um, and I think they're 2 and 10 since this thing happened. Um, and in his answer, he wouldn't unequivocally say that they were um, not juicing the bats. He just was like, whatever happened, happened, and we've addressed it. And if there, there it could be true, it might not be true. I mean, it just was, he spent, I mean, I understand why his argument lasted so long because, I mean, he couldn't say one way or another. I don't know. I think if you're UCF, and if you're the American, you have to start really addressing these allegations because if they were shaving their bats and let out, and jumped out to a, a fifteen game a fifteen and five record that wasn't really indicative of of who they were or how they were playing. I think there needs to be some real punishment for that. You know, that needs to be some suspensions. Um, you know, I think that's the thing you could you should and could lose scholarships for. Um, I think it, it compromises the integrity of the game. It goes so far beyond, you know, sign stealing or, you know, trying to gain a competitive advantage here or there. I mean, it's a it's a real problem. And these guys are using metal bats. The bat, the balls are jumping off the bats in college baseball harder than they ever have. Um, and you know, you, you don't want to see an injury, you know, on a guy smoking one to third on a hot bat that doesn't meet regulations. So. I, I would hope the conference responds to what's going on and, and makes a big deal about this because, you know, honestly, it's just completely atrocious the way that, that he um, responded to the allegations. Now I can't wait to watch that video. Um, but, yeah, if they're honestly cheating and they still suck, um, then – no. Well, they were fifteen and five while they okay. were allegedly cheating. So, with some Maybe. wins over like uh, Florida State or something like Clemson. that, so. Clemson, yeah, yeah. Well, UCF still sucks. So, um, <laughs> good for them, I guess, for having a fifteen and five record and now being seventeen and fifteen. So, since that point, they've gone two and ten. Yeah. So, there's got to be something there. I mean, granted, they still hit the ball pretty well this weekend. All right, wrap it up, I go. All right, um, what is the most competitive conference series left on the schedule? Frank says Wichita State. I I kind of have to agree with him. Wichita looks like it's playing well. Um, any other thoughts here? And ECU always seems to struggle at Wichita. Do y'all guys have any other thoughts here? Yeah, I, I think Wichita for me. I think they have, they have one of the best two-way players in the country, too. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But, it's like Peyton Toll or Tolly or something. Toll, like yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. So that that'll be a tough one. But after that, you're, you're really kind of grasping for straws. I don't think really you can you can I don't think you can really make a case for anybody else being tough. And that sucks to say, but it I think it's true. And Wichita State is probably a stretch too. <laughs> but amongst yeah, the competition, that's it. Yeah, but if you look at where that that series lies, we play at Charlotte. Which at Wichita State, and then come back and play in Raleigh. So that five-game road stretch, I would say, definitely is the most difficult five-game stretch that we have left this year. Um, and that's the heart of it, you know, three games on the road in Wichita, 
and a program that's, you know, won a national championship. I know they hadn't been as good recently. Um, but, yeah, and quite frankly, we hadn't played great on the road either. So, um, yeah, I would definitely put Wichita at the, at the top of the most competitive series. And I don't know what it is about Cincinnati, but they always seem to play ECU extremely tough, especially in Ohio. Maybe it's just because they're in Cincinnati, and that is the greatest baseball city in America, as Scott would say. Chile, um, the capital, Chile, capital of the world, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati, not my favorite place, but I do want to see a Reds game one one day. All right, let's see here. Uh, Zach Griffin says, "I think early game offensive production is more of a concern than fielding. I expect the fielding to get better as the season goes on." You know, I think I think. The early offensive production this past week was good, so I almost feel like that's going to get better more so than the fielding. Like, the fielding kind of is what the fielding is. I don't know. Do y'all have any thoughts here? Yeah, we're about yeah. to the heat up with the weather. Um, sorry, um, So, I think that, uh, you know, once, <laughs> once, once the weather warms up, that you'll see some more offensive production. Balls start flying out of uh, right field. Um but fielding is what it is. You don't tend to field better better as the weather gets better. Um, go ahead, John. No, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the two days, three games this week, that ECU hit very well were warm. And then the day ECU didn't hit as well was not warm and rainy. So, I mean, I, I also think it's that's not a coincidence that ECU's bats did seemingly wake up when the sun came out. And – so, you know, I, I do think there's still questions about the offense. I do think that's a valid concern because I, I share it. I have the same one. But I do think, you know, when you look at the whole body of work, I think the offense is still I – think, I think the offense has done a good job for the most part this year at working counts, making the pitcher work. It's just finishing, finishing the at-bat. You might have a good at-bat, and you might see 10 pitches, but then you strike out swinging, or then you put a weak ball into play and nothing happens from it. And I think I think that's where I have concern, and that's where I'd like to see improve. But again, I think as the sun comes out and the balls start flying a little farther, I think those things are going, kind of going to solve themselves as long as everyone stays healthy. All right, I'm going to run through some of these questions so we get to our predictions. Get out of here. Um, some of us got young children. Not Jonathan Wagner that we know of. <laughs> Everybody but Jonathan Wagner can confirm. I do not either. <laughs> um, Zach wants to know how his baby I go. Uh, Cannon, my little girl is doing great. She's ten days uh, old. I'm tired, but she's honestly been a great baby thus far. Knock on wood. Um, she sleeps well as long as she's fed. So I'm sure as soon as I get done with this podcast, I'll have to go feed her. But uh, everything's going well. And so we appreciate, as I said earlier, Jonathan and Scott filling in. and uh, But certainly can't complain thus far. Um, Brandon Carr wants to know what's in the pink solo cup. Right now it's empty. Oh, I just, I just, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it is now. It is now. <laughs> I just spilled water all over my computer. I mean, you uh, said it was empty, and now it is. So. It is empty. <laughs> And I need to go get a paper towel to clean this up. So as I do that, y'all answer the other questions. Scott, what's the rest of that Juicy J shirt say? Yeah, my, 
This is a uh, Juicy J IPA from Legion uh, Brewing in uh, Charlotte. Uh, I had a friend that was a bartender there, and she got me this shirt. And, uh, yeah, I also big Juicy J fan, 3-6 Mafia, uh, the whole crew, most known unknowns, you know. Wags, what, what day are you going to be in Chapel Hill? All right, so the final part of this question is, in what day is Wags going to be in Chapel Hill for the Miami series this week? Um, can confirm I will not be in Chapel Hill, and that was a one-time thing. I promise. I promise, you know. And But I will say I will only be a one game this weekend in Greenville. I will only be a one game, period. That will be Friday, and then I'll be back in my hometown celebrating my mom's birthday on Saturday and Sunday. But I will not be in Chapel Hill. And I will not be in Chapel Hill again for the rest of the season. That's a promise. Until we play there in the Supers. I'll be wearing purple and gold, baby. <laughs> UCJ is also what is uh, happening in the middle of Igo's keyboard right now. So, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, – That was good. That's, I, uh, Gotta love I, really thought, I really thought my – Cup was empty. And I just poured water all the water bottle. Once you have kids that are yeah. little, it can knock stuff over. It gets it's water bottles from there on out. That was a major foul on my end. Um, but it is water, thankfully. Otherwise, that would have been a real, real bitch. Um, all right. Uh, think uh, Buddy Martinez says, think it's Memphis leading up to the Campbell game. Is that? Most competitive conference Probably. conference series. Yeah, let's see what we got here. So, ain't, ain't no way in hell I'm picking Memphis to be the most competitive <laughs> conference series. I would no say disrespect. no series at home would I yeah. pick as, yeah. as the most competitive conference series. Um, at this point, you know, at Cincinnati, at US, at USF to end the season, I feel like we haven't ended seasons well in the last few years. Um, that last week, and I think last year against. Um, I think it was Houston that we ended the season with. We did pretty well. But um, specifically the last game of the regular season, I feel like we've lost that game like every year. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's probably at Wichita to this point. They they do have um, somebody that will be an in, in MOB-type talent on their team. I don't know that Memphis has that yet. Um, don't know that Cincinnati has that. Um, and USF doubtful as well. Wags, um, the Nationals lose, or they're losing now two to nothing in the first. So I told you it happened. I called it. (laughs) Um, Random stat from Johnny Robertson says the Pirates scored 13 runs in the second inning on Thursday versus UCF. They scored nine runs in the second inning in their other 30 games combined. They are seven and zero when they score a run in the second inning. Great stats, Johnny Gardner. Just Speak Pirate says, how important will it be to not lose a third game in a row to ODU tomorrow night? I can guarantee you that Cliff Galvin is reminding them every single day, every single second that ODU swept them last year. I think they'll come out very motivated um, on Tuesday night with Zach Root on the mound. Opinion on the transfer commitment of Bobby Pettiford. And rumor is he shares his alma mater with Scott. Although you have some dispute here that he is a – so he's a Durham native is what he claims. Is that a party foul? I feel like there's 
a contingency of folks from the Butner Creedmoor area <laughs> that just claim to be from Durham. And I don't know where he was born. I don't know how long he may or may not have lived in Durham. I don't know that much about him. But um, I grew up with a lot of people that when we would go places would say, I'm from Durham. And I'd be like, you are from STEM. That is that is not where you're from. You are from Tally Ho. You are not from Durham. You can't just come out here claiming you're are from. Are these real places? Yeah, they're just, they're <laughs> Southern Gravel County towns. Tally Ho? Tally Ho, Stems, Stovall in the north. Um, it sounds like you're like living in a game with their own fantasy land, like just making up places. I wish I was. Sassafras Fork. <laughs> Down <to the> left. <laughs> Stem has two stoplights now, so maybe if he's from there, I'll start playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, he's a Stim. fellow Viking. I looked for a South Granville shirt today, and uh, they're they're all <laughs> either too small or too old to put on anymore. But um, yeah, gra- glad to see a, a South Granville kid make his way to to ECU, and really looking forward to seeing him uh, play and play well for the Pirates. So I just talked to Bobby right before we did this uh, podcast. So I'll have the interview up some sometime tomorrow. But um, great, great young man, really good interview. He was fired up to be a pirate. You know, kind of said that he's – yeah, he said the most impressive thing about the recruiting process was how much Coach Schwartz and the coaching staff as a whole recruited him. He said it was the best he's been recruited since high school. They made it made him a priority. They made his family feel like a priority. They recruited the whole family. So um, from the day he entered the portal, I think he kind of felt ECU was going to be it. And when he made his visit this weekend, that was a big pickup for the program, North Carolina kid coming back home. And so certainly getting Bobby Pettiford, who I would have liked to see him come to ECU at a high school uh, a few years ago, but getting him to come back now, with his ability to run the point, score the ball off the dribble, and he said he wants to expand his shooting game. So I, I think he's going to be a really good fit with the core that's coming back. So um, he's also said he's already working on recruiting other guys as well. So it'll be interesting to see how how the next few weeks strand, transpire. Christian Bateman says, who else are we looking at in the portal? They're looking for a shooter and a big. So that's all I got for you. Check out hoistacolors.net. ECU basketball VIP recruiting thread. We're we're updating it every day, Christian. You can sign up now. A single dollar for your first month, and you can read all about it, and you don't even have to ask me about it. You can get it straight off the board. We got a, a couple of names that we're monitoring that could be visiting here soon. All right, let's get back to baseball, and let's close out our show with our favorite segments, our prediction segment, ECU Takes on ODU on Tuesday. They owe the Monarchs some revenge. Two losses in a row. Need a W, and then they host Cincinnati this weekend. So we will start with – I'll tell you what, let's start with Jonathan, and then we'll go back to you, Jonathan, for your your bonus prediction at the very end of all of our predictions. Okay. So I I do think I'm going to go with 4-0. And uh, it, it's four home games this week. Cincinnati's this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I right. just wanted to make sure before I set that in stone. But, you know, something – a theme I've talked about all year is I do have concerns about road being on the road. And 
I think ECU is going to take full advantage of being another four game home week, a long home stand. So I think the crowd, I think the crowds are going to be great. They should be great this weekend. The weather looks nice tomorrow. And, and while I'm here, I am going to go ahead and get this plug in right now, but ECU women's lacrosse does play at four o'clock tomorrow inside Johnson stadium, North Carolina, the Tar Heels are in town defending national champions, very big game for ECU. So if you're not working later in the afternoon tomorrow, Go out before baseball. Go out to Johnson Stadium. Watch some lacrosse. It's a big game. Should be a good atmosphere. So go on out there. But then afterwards, I'm going to walk over to Clark Leclerc and watch the first of four wins this week. And, yeah, I'll go with that. And then I'll be back later for my bonus. Scott, you going 4-0 or are you predicting a, a setback somewhere along the way? So both the teams we play this week have seven road wins. ODU is seven and three. Cincinnati is uh, seven, and now I gotta look at it again. Uh, seven and ten. So uh, you know, I think ODU is gonna come in fired up. Um, Cincinnati has played seventeen road games. Um, that's a lot of road games for anybody to have played. So they're gonna be experienced in playing on the road. So I'm gonna go with three and one. I think somebody gets us at one point. Um, you know, the weather doesn't all it's not looking great. I've been we have, actually have a golf trip coming up to Greenville this weekend, so I'll be in town at all your local courses and then maybe out for a game on Saturday. And so if you see me, say hi. Um, but yeah, I think uh we'll see maybe one loss on the weekend, um, maybe a weather game, something like that. Uh so three and one. Oh, um, 4-0. 4-0, I'm feeling it. I, I think the biggest key for me is, again, winning Tuesday against Old Dominion. I think Cincinnati is going to provide a a test this weekend. They always seem to play ECU tough. I, I just think ECU's bullpen – like Cincinnati's pitching depth is always so poor, and I think ECU at home will be able to grind out enough at-bats to – to find a way to score more runs and sweep this series at home. So for me, the big key is finding a way to win against Old Dominion, getting enough quality pitching, getting enough offense against a quality team. I'm going 4-0. I think ECU extends its winning streak to eight. Although, of course, uh, every time I feel good about a prediction, the opposite happens, or not the opposite, but definitely not the prediction happens that I predict. So, um Hopefully they can they find a way to, to get it done. But three and one would be a solid week either way. Uh, Wags, let's uh, let's hear your your prediction. So last week, for those who missed it, you predicted Jacob Jenkins Carrot will hit three bombs. He did just that. Can you top it? All the pressure is on your shoulders. So I uh, let's just get it out of the. I'm never going to top it. <laughs> just the just the epicness of being the first prediction, you know. For those of you who remember my time with as a Hoist of Colors intern, when I go and I did our football game predictions, I always did a little bonus, whether it was CJ Johnson with a hundred yard day. I, I always did. I, I like doing fun stuff like that, and I, I didn't expect it when he hit two against NC State. I'm like, oh wow, my weekend just got a lot easier. And then there you go. And as I'm speaking, the Nationals um cut it to two to one. So we have hope, but. I'm, I'm going to stick with a similar prediction in the fact that I'm going to stick with a power and a home run type prediction. But I do think it's going to come from an, maybe an unlikely spot. I'm only going to predict one homer this week. I'm going to say Riley Johnson will hit a home run this week. And I, I think that's fair for a bonus bold-ish prediction. You know, he hit three his freshman year 2021. He has one this season. 
So in 151 at bats, he has four homers. So he's not he has the pop. We've seen it, but he's not a prototypical power guy. I think he's going to be in the lineup all four games this weekend in center field. So I think Riley Johnson. You know, you're going to have to find a way to replicate that power you lost by Jacob Jenkins Coward. He was starting to turn it on. Josh Moreland can do it. Jacob Starling can do it. But Riley Johnson will be the guy to hit a home run this week. There we go. I like that prediction. You know, it's like, you know, if it happens, it won't top Jacob Jenkins Coward, but it will be like just good enough to be like, damn, like that wags. Like he's right. really good. Look, look, at first, and I'll fully admit, when we started recording, I, I told you guys I have no idea what I was going to predict. So I've been thinking about it the whole time. But, you know, there was part of me that, like, let me go bold. Let me say, like, Trey Savage is going to throw a no-hitter. But I'm like, <laughs> I got to save that. I got to wait until I'm, maybe I get into a funk and I ha- don't get one for a couple weeks. And then I got to go bold again, and it's going to be right. And then I'm going to retire on my head. But, yeah, Riley Johnson, nice. It's not a safe prediction, but compared to last week, I think I think it's safe. So let's yeah. do it. Riley's going to prove me right. Hopefully the ankle holds up so he can get enough torque on that swing to hit hit one out. Maybe the wind will be blowing out to right field. But, um, guys, this was fun. It was good to be back. And, again, thanks to you guys for holding down last week without me. Uh, thanks to the commenters who uh, dropped in a lot of great comments, a lot of great questions. And hopefully we'll be able to go basically every Monday night through the end of the regular season. And then, as Luke <laughs> Luke says that the Reds just got walked off by the Braves, as Scott collapses his hand into his face. Uh, <laughs> How fitting! What great timing that was! What a good way to end it. I got walked off. All <laughs> oh man! Well, hey, at least you are uh, an ECU fan and not a Cincinnati Bearcats fan. So. That's a good point. Um, uh, We'll see what happens this weekend. All right. It's been real for Scott, for Jonathan. I am Steven. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Hoisted Colors podcast. We'll be back next Monday night. And also, we should be back later this week with Nova Pirate. We're going to have a spring football uh, recap. He was at the game taking notes, so we'll have that as well. So thank you guys for listening to the Hoisted Colors podcast. Talk to you guys next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.